in a secure moment of attachment, a person is able to stay in connection with themselves and also stay open to the contact from the other. And people who are mostly secure in their attachment style mostly have that experience. It's not to say that securely functioning people never have ruptures or never get distressed or never have injuries that get exposed, but the baseline experience is more secure. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Art of We podcast. This is episode 34. We're going to be talking about attachment styles and how they play out in adult partnerships. This is a fun one. And this is going to be a series of shows on specific styles. We're going to start out with the island style, which is a particular style we'll get into in a moment. And then we're going to do a follow-up episode on the wave style. So these are kind of uh, bookended episodes here. Before we get into it, we want to ask you to please let us know what topics you'd like for us to talk about in future episodes of the podcast. And a great way to do that is to go to where you can leave a review on your favorite podcast platform for our show. Uh, You could also just leave a review, and that's a good way for, if you like the show, to help other people find it. So you can leave your request there in the review section, or you can go to our website, kristavanderveer.com, and leave a question there. A question or a topic. Whatever you want to leave, we would love to receive it. (laughs) (laughs) Or a topic. Before we get into the exact styles, let's talk about why it's important to even be talking about attachment in the first place. And you kind of pointed to it, that the attachment styles play out. And it's really helpful, at least in my experience, to have a greater understanding of attachment styles so we can talk about what's happening between us. Yeah, it's a topic that's worth looking at because... When we connect with our partner, we start dating, we get into a long-term commitment, we don't really have, no one gives us an owner's manual of how to work with this human being in front of us. And attachment styles help us orient toward what are the unique, sometimes not intuitive needs that a person with that attachment style would have in relationships. So it makes it easier to get the love that you want and give your partner the kind of love that they need. If you are familiar with these styles and you've done a little bit of inquiry into what themes or styles you identify with in your own life. So maybe we just back up even a little bit further and say, like, overall, how would we describe an attachment style? Like, what is that exactly? If you could speak to that a little bit more. You know a lot more about attachment styles than I do and can speak much better than I can. But I can say that in our commitment to be a secure functioning and securely attached couple, I very clearly know how it plays out in my system and in your system. So it's super helpful for me, but let's just touch on what an attachment style is in the first place. 
It's not right. something we're born with, which you informed me about. Yeah. So there might be predispositions that little tiny newborn babies have toward one or another attachment style, but it's largely viewed as a imprint of childhood, what you end up with in terms of an attachment style. So it's in some form developed based on one's relationship or the amount of connection that they have with their parent? Yeah, it's based on the layers of experience that we have with our caregivers as infants. The first few years of life is when this gets laid down. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with how we respond to the emotional environment that we're in. So mm -hmm. in the 1970s, a number of studies, many long-term studies looking at infants and their caregivers, and this, you know, this was mostly mothers and infants, looked at the strategies that infants use to regulate their nervous system in the face of different kinds of challenges. One challenge is the caregiver leaving the room and the infant has to respond to that. Another challenge is the caregivers holding the infant but not looking at them. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of ignoring the infant but holding the infant. And then through a one-way mirror, the researchers observed what the infants did with these circumstances. So what emerged out of all of that research, the punchline was that there are kind of four main styles of attachment that most people mostly fit into. And I say mostly because you and I have talked about this a lot, that there are elements of different styles that we can all relate to. But largely speaking, these four different categories apply to most people. So the four categories, we might as well name them, right? Great. Well, let me just say how these things have been observed to emerge in infants. So we'll start with the best case scenario where you have a caregiver who is friendly, loving, caring, not intrusive, who, and I'm speaking about the caregiver, is not too stressed out when the infant leaves the caregiver to go explore the environment, mm -hmm. is connected, relaxed, observing, has a good connection with themselves, and provides reassurance when the infant needs it, but isn't overbearing mm -hmm. uh, most of the time. And so under these circumstances, a child can develop a thing called secure attachment, where you're relatively relaxed in relationships. You're not constantly vigilant for being intruded upon. You're not constantly concerned that the other person's abandoning you or mistreating you when they're not. So you tend to be relaxed and resourced in relationship, and you tend to interpret the nonverbal communication in your partner more accurately. So you, you make fewer mistakes in reading the expressions of your partner. And then obviously this early imprinting directly impacts our close relationships as adults. And we work with whatever we're working with to ultimately come more into this secure attachment that you're talking about if we aren't already there. Right. Great. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we tend to carry those patterns into adulthood. So the other three patterns are versions of what you would call insecure attachment. And let me inter interrupt you just for a second. How many people and not that we necessarily know because we haven't done the research, I think, but would you say grow up securely attached with a securely attached imprint versus an insecure imprint? I mean, I would think 99% of people grow up with an insecure attachment, but <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. 
My memory is the research shows not that many people grow up with secure patterning. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a little bit better than 1%. I think it was like maybe 10 or 15% or something like that. Okay, great. But I'm just off the top of my head trying to remember that. Yeah, okay. There might be attachment nerds who want to leave us a review about that. (laughs) If you know this percentage, reach out. We would love to to hear from you. Okay, so then going into insecure attachment. Right. So the vast majority of people end up with insecure functioning in mm-hmm. their imprinting. And then we carry that into adulthood. So insecure, largely speaking, has two big versions. One is called the avoidant. And our friend and hero, Stan Tatkin, calls the avoidant style the island. He calls the secure style, by the way, an anchor. So mm-hmm. we already covered that. The island is a person who, uh, we're going to talk a lot about islands today, so I don't want to get too much into it, but the island is a person who is much more self-reliant, let's say, and more vigilant about intrusion and overwhelm from too much contact from their partner. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where the word comes from, is they are kind of an island. Yeah, they're kind of an island. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then the other very common style is the wave or in the research language, the ambivalent attached person. So the the wave is someone who, as you can imagine, islands and waves get together commonly. It's not the only configuration, but it's a common configuration. So the wave is sometimes coming and making a lot of contact, sometimes not, experiences and displays a a lot more distress overtly than the island, typically. Mm. And I love this summary in Stan Tatkin's book, Wired for Love, and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes, but the summary statement of the wave is, if only you loved me the way I love you. Right. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so yeah. this style can have more of a dramatic or more of a histrionic presentation. Then you said there was a third insecure attachment style. Right. Thank you. So the third insecure attachment style, again, from the literature in the 1970s, is called disorganized attachment. And that basically, for our purposes, is just a more extreme version of this wave style. But the difference is that, and the word disorganized comes from the kind of behavior that was observed in the infants who had been abused or neglected In these experiments, when the caregiver came back in the room, the behavior of the infant became disorganized. So the best way to describe it that I've come across is that disorganized attachment is when a person is in distress and someone tries to help them feel better and they get more distressed. So once again, it's a thing we could all relate to, but the person with disorganized attachment is in a really tough spot because it's so hard for them to take in the kind of care that they so want to receive. It's like being allergic to nutrition. You you need it, but you can't assimilate it. Really hard. Well, like you said, I can I can recognize all of those insecure attachment styles in my system in some form. We're about to go into talking about the island mostly today, and then we'll the next episode we'll get into the wave, probably less in the disorganized, correct? Right. Okay. So why don't we just take a quick break 
And when we come back, we'll get deeply into the island. We'll talk about how we experience it, how it shows up in our relationship, and why we think it's even important to work with these attachment styles in the first place. Be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Welcome back. Once again, we're going to be focusing on the island style of attachment today. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the wave. So I think a great way to start this conversation is to quote from this book I mentioned before, Wired for Love, Stan Tacken. I love this summary of the island because almost anyone can relate to this. He says, the island's statement is, I want you in the house, just not in my room. (laughs) That's awesome. Most of us probably know someone who that's their vibe. And before we get into talking about our experience of island in our partnership, I want to read a couple of statements from Stan's book in his invitation. It's like a quiz to see if you relate to being an island. Great. Just a couple of the high points here. So this would be like statements that an island person would actually say. Would relate to. Yeah. Okay. I thrive when I can spend time in my own private sanctuary. I could say yes to that. (laughs) It's not the only time I thrive, but I could say yes to that part. Yeah. Yeah. If you upset me, I have to be by myself to calm down. I often feel my partner wants or needs something from me that I can't give. I'm most relaxed when nobody's around. Mm. I resonate with that one too. So it hasn't been said yet on this show. So I just want to make a statement that none of these styles is worse or better or superior or inferior to another. Obviously, the secure style, the anchor is something that we all probably would prefer to have because it's more relaxing to live that way, less stressful in our nervous system. Mm-hmm. But just in case anybody out there is thinking that they're superior to somebody else because they have a certain attachment style, we want to just name that and nip it in the bud. Yeah, totally. And it seems like that different attachment styles or different parts of our attachment styles can show up differently inside of different relationships. So like in one one relationship, I might show up more islandy. In another relationship, I might show up as actually more secure. In another relationship, it might be more wavy or disorganized. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. How would you identify me from your experience in our relationship in terms of attachment style? One thing that's a theme in our conversations that I think applies here is you don't volunteer as much information about your inner experience as I do. And I think that corresponds with more of an island stance. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's premeditated or, you know, it's not like you're withholding deliberately, but I think that somehow it doesn't 
occur to you or you don't have a, a desire or a push to share, to volunteer information about your inner world. Right. As much. Yeah, definitely. That's true. And I feel like it's also true in other relationships, but it, we can feel it most here because we're so intimate. Yeah. And I've, I've also noticed that you thrive in your own world, in your own space. And, you know, we have a setup where I go out to the office to work and you work at home. And, you know, it occurs to me that when I'm on my way home, the uh, window of creativity for you is closing in a particular way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I'm going to enter the space and all bets are off at that point. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. And there's a lot of creation happening here in our collaboration on the podcast. So, you know, these are kind of nuances. And as we keep saying on this show, there's pockets of different styles in every individual. We respond to different situations differently. So from the statement that you shared at the beginning of the second half here, I want you in my house, but just not in my room, like the statement of the island. What kind of environment do they grow up inside of? This really comes down to a question of how does the infant get soothed? And in general, especially up to a certain developmental age, which is actually pretty late for human beings, the infant is very dependent on being soothed by the caregiver. So for an infant to draw the conclusion or begin to practice autonomy from the caregiver, it's not an abnormal response, but it's a normal response to an abnormal environment. And this concept is called autoregulation when the infant is faced with an environment where soothing themselves is safer and more effective than seeking soothing from the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so it's a response in the infant to um, ineffective, inconsistent efforts by the caregiver to soothe the infant. Okay, that makes sense. So this could take the form of the cry from the infant doesn't get responded to at all. So that'd be more of neglect. Mm. Or the the cry of the infant is misinterpreted or misunderstood or... Mm -hmm taken as proof that, you know, in the anxious mind of the caregiver, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not a good parent. Mm -hmm. My infant is judging me. People have these Mm -hmm. experiences. Right. I think you and I have this experience. Like when you just said my infant is judging me, like, I think that there is this way that you and I fit together so beautifully. And this is partially why like we like to do the work together is because because I'm not bringing myself forward as much, I'm harder to read, I'm harder to know what's going on, I'm not giving the signals of how to be soothed because in some circumstances, I can soothe myself a lot faster and quicker because I don't have to go through the relational process to get soothed. And then without the correct signaling, you could be saying, I'm not doing this right or judging yourself or judging me because I'm in my insecure attachment style of an island in that moment. <laughs> You're like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> it's a good point that not sharing enough information creates problems for couples. And this is just as true on my side of our we as it is on your side, that not signaling 
a need for support or help or contact or anything leaves a vacuum for these mistakes to occur and they happen, you know, on my side and on your side. And I think for all couples, mistakes happen and mistakes often lead to these ruptures that we've talked about on previous episodes. But are you saying that that doesn't have a thing to do with attachment? It does. It has a lot to do with attachment. And there's a phenomenon related to the island that I learned from Stan also, which I love, which is this phenomenon of catch and release. So the the island, you know, wants and needs help, but has a really hard time asking for it mm-hmm. and is highly sensitive to being captured or flooded with contact. So he recommends a catch and release approach to your islandy partner where you might go and give them a hug and then walk away or give them space. So mm-hmm. quick peck on the cheek and walk away or something along those lines. That's not going to uh, freak out the island who really does want contact, but is also highly sensitive to too much contact. Okay, this is great. So this is really helpful with the conversation you and I had in the kitchen the other day about getting in there with me about when I need support for something. And we've been in this big conversation about how do we really support each other and each other's expression. And sometimes I can only tolerate so much coming at me, so much support, so much insight. Otherwise, I get flooded and overwhelmed. So that could also be related to the attachment style that we're talking about. Absolutely. Would you say that in those moments, it's hard to stay in connection with yourself? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's very disorienting and overwhelming. Whereas on the other side, and we'll get into this more in the next episode, but to compare it, you as more of a wave, dominant wave, dominant person, it seems like you can keep receiving. You have a greater capacity to receive the contact and the support for a longer amount of time. Well, the one of the hallmarks of a wave is there's this insatiable quality of wanting more and more contact. But I wouldn't take that to mean that the wave is staying in contact with themselves. Right. The wave tends to be very focused on the other person and on the quality of the connection between the two people. You know, is, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Like that kind of Mm -hmm. obsession. Mm -hmm. So part of what I feel committed to in terms of this conversation and being the island who really needs to stretch myself to receive, otherwise getting flooded and overwhelmed, I don't want to try to push my boundary to a place where we're not making progress. But in terms of what we're committed to as a couple, my story is if I had more of a secure attachment style in those conversations where you're trying to support me, there might be, we might have a greater balance of supporting each other's success versus me avoiding or distracting you from giving me support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, gradually building that muscle. And, you know, next week we'll talk about muscles I need to build in this area, but the muscle of tolerating contact and maintaining connection with oneself while at the same time receiving contact from the partner. And that would be secure attachment. It would be on the way to secure attachment. Mm -hmm. I think that in a secure moment of attachment, a person is able to stay in connection with themselves and also stay open to the contact from the other. 
Mm-hmm. And people who are mostly secure in their attachment style mostly have that experience. It's not to say that securely functioning people never have ruptures or never get distressed or you know never have injuries that get exposed or right. But the baseline experience is more secure. Okay, so one more question here about the island before we close, which is if I'm identified as island and I'm just kind of like, oh, well, that's just the way I am. I like to be in my little sacred sanctuary. I prefer to have you in the house, but not in my room. All the things that you listed. Why should I do my work to get to a secure attachment? Like what's the, what are the downsides of staying positional about my islandy self? <laughs> Well, it's hard to sell this to an island. <laughs> <laughs> so with that preface, I'm going to say that the, the blind spot or the Achilles heel of the island is not having as much capacity to receive support, connection, contact as a secure functioning person can receive. And so there's a, there's a small tolerance there that can be expanded mm-hmm. where the joy of partnership can be more fully experienced and it just takes time to work out that muscle and get good at that the reason i think it's hard to sell this to an island is that this sort of view that i by myself i can soothe myself and support myself better than anyone else can it's a little hard to penetrate that narrative or that filter that islands tend to have. They came at that pattern honestly, right? They came at that conclusion from growing up with a caregiver who taught them that that was how reality works. Right. Yeah, and I can think of people who we know that are in relationships, they're in a relationship and they're more of the islandy and they're doing less self-examination about this particular aspect. And it's almost like a quality of like hardness or a very, very much of an eye perspective inside the relationship. It's, it's definitely not the we can do more than I can perspective. It's probably I can do more than I can. I can do more than we can, you mean? <laughs> I don't know what it means. I can do more than I can. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> You have to be an island to know what that oh, means. Oh, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but I do notice, you know, I have a story that there is a deeper longing inside of their being to want to be able to be in a more collaborative and flowy and in some ways successful relationship. But again, some people just love being an island and that's how they're going to be and what they're going to want to be. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And in terms of speaking about couples who are really committed to working together and leaving a positive impact, working towards this secure attachment with each other, I think is critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Inside of the relational practice that we practice, what we call the we space, we take the assumption that the story of an island of, you know, I'm self-sufficient, I can do better than we can, as a strategy for not facing the injury that led to that perspective in the first place. Correct. Right. We don't take it as face value and walk away and say, oh, well, that's just just how they are. Right. I think when we're talking about these attachment injuries and this great question you brought of, you know, 
what if that's just how I am, right? That perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I think maybe one of the ways to relate to that question is how much conscious choice is there? How much freedom is there for that individual to choose how they want to shape their life? Or is their life being shaped by a strategy to avoid pain? Mm. And I think most of us would, if we could choose, we would rather be choosing based on conscious choice rather than unconscious choice. Right. So that's really the Achilles heels of the island is believing that they're in conscious choice about mm. relying on themselves when in actuality, their defense strategy is what is running. And for the wave who is structuring their life based on defense strategy, it's, it's, it's just a different strategy, but it's the same phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I just want to name that you have a lot of island in you too, because there's a, a lot of, and this is, am I getting defensive? There's a lot of, <laughs> I can do more than we can that shows up at times inside of oh, your yeah. system. Oh, and yeah. what I love, 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 love about you is that you're so willing to wake up to that positionality when we become conscious of it to do more of what we stand for, which is we can do more than I can which I love that you are so willing to grow and look and see and be available for something different with me. Thank you. I definitely have lots of island in me. And one of the ways that shows up is holding the belief that help that I get from outside of myself is going to be more of a burden than a relief. Mm. That's very alive in me as an automatic expectation. Yeah, that makes sense. If you don't already know your attachment style or you don't know your partner's attachment style, we definitely recommend Stan's book, Wired for Love. We'll put that in the show notes. And honestly, it's just another way to grow and to be together and to love each other even better and even more. So check out the book. And in the next episode, we will get into talking a little bit more about the wave, the wave attachment style and how that shows up in our relationship as well. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.